right, well, good morning. Hey, uh, last week I was sitting right back there in that corner and, uh, and listened to Charlie talk about uh, these decisive moments that happen in our life, and it, and it really it really hit me. In fact, you know, he kind of started out that way, and I don't know what else he talked about last week. Has it ever happened to you? Like, some, some point will come up, and you're like, oh, man, I mean, I'm just kind of spinning on that, and so I'll have to go back and listen to the rest of it, but... He, uh, you know, he's saying that in this series where we're talking about these kind of basics of the faith, that it's just, it's just real easy for those things to be something that we've heard before or something that we kind of pass by or to interpret this series as something that we just kind of add a little bit onto. But the truth is that we desperately need and um, we desperately need a radical change of heart a decisive moment when it comes to these things. And, you know, it's really easy for you not to see it coming because they're real simple. Like this, this wheel illustration that we're looking at, you know, it's got these, these different pieces. I mean, Jesus being the, the center of your life. You know, my, my three-year-olds right now, I mean, learning uh, Jesus loves me. You know, I mean, you're starting to put together at a basic level, hey, that Jesus is important. He needs to be a, a, an important role in our life. This this idea that you should pray, that you should read the Bible, that you should hang out with other believers. I mean, these, these are things you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Until you run into somebody who has had that shift, you know, uh, somebody who has fallen in love with God's word and you spend a couple minutes with them and you go, um, oh, man, that's different. <laughs> like, that they've got a different passion for that. Something, something's happened in them. And if you spend much time with them and you start to ask those questions, you find out that there was a decisive moment that happened, something that, that clicked, some, uh, something that happened in their world that, that they walked out and they were different after that. And the way that they approached that area of the Christian life was, was new. Their perspective had changed. I think we need that in all these areas, but none more than the one that we're going to talk about today. And... Um, you know, Charlie shared a decisive moment story. I figure it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I'm justified a football story, right? At, at least today. Uh, but there is. If I look back on my life, there's a decisive moment that really I can mark and say, besides the, the, the moment that I met Jesus, uh, this, this is the moment that I, I could say that before this moment and after this moment, I, I was different. And it, and it comes to football. In my school, we started in football, tackle football, when you were in seventh grade. And me as a seventh grader, I was a chubby, semi-athletic seventh grader. And all I remember about seventh grade football is that we practiced before school in the morning. I remember it being really cold and really wet. I remember us having, like, every time you'd have to get down to, to, to stretch and stuff, like, you know, you'd get all wet. And it was just, it was the most uncomfortable way to start your day, right? And, and then we maybe had, you know, two or three games, and there wasn't much to it. And so then you moved into eighth grade, and it was a junior high, and so you were eighth and ninth grade. And the ninth grade team, that, those guys in the year ahead of me, that class was just, they were incredibly talented athletes. And that team was really, really good. And so as an eighth grader, unless you were incredible, which I was not, you were the meat squad. So you ran the other team's offenses, and they would just kill you. So that was what ninth grade period was like. So then you moved on to ninth grade. And this is like, all right, man. So now you're ninth grader, kind of big man on campus, junior high. And first game of the year, I pull a muscle, and I'm out for the season. So that killed ninth grade. So then we go into 10th grade, and again, that squad, I mean, now I'm a rookie, and that team, that you know, class in front of us was really good. And so as a sophomore, I didn't, I didn't get to play at all. I just was a meat squad again. Then my junior year, um, man, I started 
getting the chance to fight for a position to actually play in a game. And in a small school like that, if you're good at all, you play actually play offense and defense. I was fighting to play defensive end, just one position on the field, and I was battling for that position with a dude who was a senior who had, um, who had this was his first year to play football. I mean, he didn't have anything. He didn't know anything about it, all right? So I fight and fight and fight and scratch and claw and finally get to be on the, on the playing field. And we go to the, to the state playoffs, and we're doing pretty good. I mean, we're rolling over folks. Our defense is really good, and we're shutting everybody out and posting, you know, 30, 40 points. But then we get to the semifinals of the state playoffs, and we're playing this school from Pine Bluff, Pine Bluff, Delaware. And we knew that they were good, and we didn't watch a whole lot of film, but we knew they had this tailback that was just ridiculous. Well, we come out for warm-ups, and that guy's back catching punts, and I run past him. And let's just say that he was quite a bit bigger than me. I mean, I, I easily, easily 40, 50 pounds. He had a gold tooth and a do-rag. And when I'd ran by, it, now maybe he was just laughing about something else. You know, maybe his friend said something that he found funny. But it felt like he looked at my eyes and laughed at me. And I was afraid. I mean, I, I ran and we warmed up and I was sitting there thinking, kind of almost praying, Lord, please don't help him run to my side. Just run to the other side, dude. Don't come this way. Because he was just going to truck me, man. It was going to be embarrassing. I was, I was afraid. And the game started, and it, that's about how it went, man. We were just getting killed. We score was, fourth quarter score was uh, 21-7. They were ahead, and then they scored again. And we lined up for them to kind of just chip in their extra point, take it home, and try to forget about it. And guess what they did? They brought out their offense, and they were going to go for two. Now, if you know anything about football, what that means is they were looking at us and saying, hey, we're going we're to put an extra point on the board because we can, because you can't stop us. And something inside of me, it broke. I got, I got angry. I forgot about my fear. I forgot about where I was or any concern I had about bodily harm. And when the ball was snapped, I went after the tailback. I don't know what happened to the dude that was in front of me. Somehow I blanked out for that moment. But when I, what I do remember is when I looked up, my, my face mask was in that dude's numbers right when he got the ball. And my gold tooth friend came up off of his feet, and we went back about four yards, and then I, I landed up on top of him. And... And the look in his face was, really? And the only person in the stadium more surprised than him was me. I just, I just did that. I mean, I just kind of walked back to the huddle over to the sideline in a daze. Like, I cannot believe that just happened. But let me tell you, something switched to me that day. I walked off the field. Even though we lost horribly, I walked off the field a different person. This fear that I'd had, I, all of a sudden I realized I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid. If I attack things like this in my life, I might just have victory over them. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I mean, they're going to beat us? They beat us anyway. Something clicked in me. In fact, that kind of uh, kind of bigger picture of that story, I end up, uh, when I go on a recruiting trip at this university that I ended up going to play for, the coach said that he hadn't seen any of my other games. But he was at that game and saw that one play. And he wrote it down on his notebook, hey, we want this guy to come play for us. One play. Decisive moment changed my life. Well, the same thing happened with all these areas here. So like I think about prayer. 
And I remember a time about my senior year in college, and, um, and my grandmother had uh, been diagnosed with cancer, and, and they had said that, told our family that there were days that we had, we had moments with her. And I remember circling up at the hospital and praying. And I remember in that prayer time, there was something different. I, I, I knew that we believed that it wasn't quite time yet, and we asked God for more time with her, and he gave us more time with her. And, I, and I, through that whole experience, I learned that God does actually hear our prayers. I was in my heart, in my soul, it changed me. I remember with God's word when a guy challenged me to memorize some scripture, and the first verse he came, gave me was Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and I memorized it against my will. <laughs> Hard. I mean, because even though I spent all this time in school memorizing stuff, memorizing for some reason, memorizing scripture seemed really difficult and crazy to me. But I did it. And then there was a day that I was really, really anxious. And God reminded me of that verse, and he set me free of my anxiousness. And I realized that this word has power. And it changed the way I looked at it. It changed my attitude towards studying, you know, a decisive moment. Fellowship. Uh, our family, we lived in Conway, and we moved into this neighborhood. And to be honest, uh, by nature, we're kind of loners, and we didn't really, we were going to church, but we were just kind of sliding in the back, and we didn't have any desire ever to be in a small group. And this couple that was in our neighborhood, they just, just wore us out, man. They, every time they had a meeting, every time they were hanging out, they, they were inviting us over to their house all the time, finally because we felt like we were just being mean. We went to it, and guess what we found out? We need people. And our marriage was struggling, and our life was, a, was, it was just a hard time. And these people, God used them to, to speak into that and to change our story. Our marriage, likely, I mean, I, I don't know what, where, where we were headed if, that, if those couples hadn't invested in us like that. So I, I began to believe that this matters, that these things are, are not just something in the Bible or something you talk about at church. These things are actually true. And then there's this last one. Witnessing. Evangelism. Isn't it true that it's almost a dirty word? Like it should have bleeped me out when I said that just then. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of even being an evangelical. You know, evangelism means that you take good news and you share good news. Now, that's, that's Webster. Like, that's what that means. But that... That's not what it means, right? This term has been given a whole different meaning. And the minute I say that, and that we might actually, that you might actually be a person like that, like that idea is a little bit uh, scary and weird and almost like, man, no, I've, I've spent my life trying to separate from that group of people. I mean, I, we got a church that's uh, near our home, and they do the billboard thing. Aren't you glad you're in a church that doesn't do the billboard thing? I mean, i got to be honest. I'm, I'm purposely in a church that doesn't do the billboard thing. If we had a billboard, I would probably not be here. So, you know, I pass by here, and they'll say things like, dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Or, read the Bible. It'll scare the hell out of you. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that does a whole lot of good, you know, to the people passing by. Uh, maybe it's just me that doesn't appreciate it. What's missing from C-H, blank, blank, C-H? Obviously. God answers me mail. Yeah. I mean, come on, y'all. I mean, it's sometimes, like, 
Like I have to hold the steering wheel, not to jerk it in there and either run over the sign or go change it or walk into somebody's office and say, dude, you're killing us. You are killing the cause. Jesus' reputation is on the line, and you're going to go do this stuff? Come on, man. Y'all don't feel that way? Is it just me? I, just to be clear, I'm not one of those people. And everything in me wants to separate from that. I want to separate from things like in history like the Crusades where there were forced conversions from, from people that have been uh, offered money or food in exchange for their confession in Christ, you know? These horrible things that have happened in history. The truth that's on the planet today that somehow being an American and being a Christian are tied together. And so there are places in the world that they don't want to be American. So that it, furthermore, they, 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 won't, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Horrible. The red-faced representation of an angry God who's dropping fire and brimstone. I, can, can, can we say together... I think it needs to be said. Maybe the place that we need to lead with, and the reason I feel compelled to lead with it today is, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. If you're in this room this morning and that's your picture of what a Jesus follower looks like, please, from me, accept our apology. Because we have misrepresented him horribly. This is not the Jesus that we, that, that we worship. That is, this is not the Jesus that's revealed in the scriptures. It is not. And so my prayer today is that we could talk about this and that we could reset the narrative. But in order for that to happen, you guys got to, like, close that book and accept that that's, that's all something different. Let's talk about who Jesus actually is and what he actually calls us to here. Y'all cool with that? Let me, can I pray? Because I, like, I feel like it's really, it's, I'm, I'm praying for a decisive moment, so I feel like this is kind of a significant moment. You may not, but that's cool. I, I'm going to, can I, can I just ask that God would do that? Father, I, uh, I believe that this thing is true, and so I'm asking you in these next few minutes that you would reveal your true heart and a picture of what our life could look like if we followed you in this way. I'm asking you for a decisive moment. I'm asking you for a game changer. And um, so, Father, I pray that you would do that. Amen. Um, So the truth is, Jesus said of himself, he said, he didn't come to condemn the world or to, to force some ideology. Right before John 3.16, what does he say? He says, he didn't come to the world to condemn it, but to save it. So Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. That, that's what he came to do. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he's talking to this uh, vertically challenged tax collector named Zacchaeus. And he says to this guy, He says, the Son of Man, talking about himself, he says, the Son of Man came to, this is my mission statement, this is what I came to do. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's what our Jesus came to earth to do. All right, seek. So that means he was, man, he was going, he was on a, on a, uh, (laughs) on a search. You know, at our house, if things get boring or if, you know, we've got too much screen time, the thing we do is, man, it's time for hide-and-seek. Anybody else like this? Isn't it amazing that that game can change everything, man? Especially with these, you know, twin three-year-olds, man. We say hide-and-seek, and they light up like a Christmas tree. And all of a sudden, what they do, they, they'll run. Now they hide on their own. We used to hide with them, which is really funny. But, when <laughs> but then now they go find their own hiding spots. But the minute I say, uh, ready or not, here I come, 
I mean, you know exactly where they are, so then you got to kind of play around. Well, is it in this room? But the thing is, and especially Darcy's a little better than Jack, you get in the room that he's in, I'm right here, Daddy. I'm right here. <laughs> I mean, it's like, man, all right. Doesn't quite feel like we're searching after, searching after anything. But, but Jesus says he, he's seeking out the lost to save them. So now we move to this part of if we're going to have the mindset that Jesus has, we're going to have to believe that people are lost. That we were lost and found and saved. And then there are still lost people who need to be found and saved. And that Jesus can do that. I mean, I know that all the folks I just talked about and that whole perception that the one thing that, they, that they're kind of doing is that there is a reality that, that we're lost and broken. But it's the thing is they're just camping out there. And so you never get to the good news because it's always the bad news. But you do have to kind of get lost and realize that you're lost before you can be found. Jesus seemed to believe that people were lost and that the rescue mission needed to happen. Have you ever been lost? And I don't mean spiritually. I, I just mean physically. Have you ever felt what it feels like to be lost? When I was, I don't remember how old I was, but our family went to Memphis to that mud island. And uh, I remember because my brother was six years older than me, and there was a Kenny Loggins concert. Parents let my brother go to Kenny Loggins. Any Kenny Loggins fans in here? Uh, my brother went to Kenny Loggins concert. My folks were hanging out and talking, and they had this, this Mississippi River, like, wading pool, like, to scale. Anybody? I don't know. Anyway, had water in it, and you walked down it. And so I got into that. My folks said, hey, that's fine. Just kind of keep up with us. Well, I walked it, and in one minute, I looked up, and they were nowhere. And it was dark. And the place was empty. And you know what your feeling, goes, your heart goes through. It's like, oh, man. And then you start thinking, oh, man. And then I went to the vendors, and they were all closed down. And started thinking about all the things that could happen to me. And now I wasn't going to have a part of the family. And I was going to whatever. I mean, the, the story just got worse and worse and worse. And when I saw them, and I was found, how incredible does that feel? Well, that's my testimony. That's my story with Jesus. I was lost. My selfishness and my sin, I was was self-destructive. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. I had sinned against a holy God, and I was separated from him. And my only hope for being right with my creator again is if Jesus came, died, took the punishment for my sin, and made it possible for me to be right with him again. And when I saw that and realized that, amazing grace, that song made sense. Oh, my God. Thanks oh, that, that, that our God is, is full of grace, that he would love me even in my lostness and my brokenness. And I was found. To follow Jesus, we have to believe that there are lost people and that lost people he wants to save. And then if you look at his life, man, he was about being among the lost. In, uh, in Luke chapter 15, just a couple of chapters earlier, he says, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. Evidently, Jesus was attractive to the tax collectors and the sinners. 
the sin. You know, they, he, was, he was attracted to those people. Maybe think about the church lady. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he was attracted. So instead of being repulsed by Jesus, they were attracted to Jesus. So as a Jesus follower, this is what your life should look like. There should be something about you that's attractive to those that are outside. The people who don't know this good news and this message. The lost, they should be attracted to you. All right? So it says that he was attracted. And the religious people of the day were throwing stones at him and grumbling and complaining because, because he was friends with those people. You know, a good way to determine how closely you're following Jesus is how many friends do you have that are outside, that are lost, that don't know this story. How many, how many friends, not just acquaintances or people that you've got a project. I'm talking about that are f- your friends. How do you make friends? Do, I need to, do we need to stop and talk about that? Be nice to people. You know, get into their lives, help find out what's going on, find ways that you can support and help them do fun things together, laugh a little bit. These are the things, Jesus was a friend of sinners. And then to these people, these religious folks that are throwing stones, he tells three stories that all have the same point. Now, three different stories that all have the same point. That means Jesus is trying to say something, and he's saying, listen to me. The first one is a shepherd who has 100 sheep. He, he loses one. And so it says that he leaves the 99 to chase after the one. And then the way he kind of closes that down is, you know, there's going to be joy and rejoicing in heaven, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than repents than over 99 righteous people. This is the heart of our God. Then he says the second story, he said it's like a woman with coins. There's 10 coins. She loses one of them. She leaves the nine. She goes searching all over the house to find the one that was lost. When she finds it, she throws a party. He says again, there's more joy in heaven over this one that repents than over 99 rights. Then you've got the story of the prodigal son. You know, the, the son, two brothers, one takes his inheritance early, leaves, goes and squanders it. The other one stays at home. But when the, the one that was lost comes home, the father runs out and embraces him. They throw a party because my son has come home. Older brother, the other brother that stayed around has got problems with that. Like, man, I was here the whole time. And the father says, you don't get it. My son has come home. This is who our Jesus is. That's where his heart is. And these passages in, in Luke, where, where, where we talk about my decisive moment with this area. It's these passages where I started to realize that this is the Jesus that I follow. And then what really messed me up, this, uh, this guy, General William Booth, he's the guy that started the Salvation Army. So if you go back and look in the Salvation Army's history, in the beginning, it was the Salvation Army. They were about proclaiming this good news to the world. Now, now I know it's, it's just, it feels like it's just a bell ringing, but it, it had a history that was incredible. You should go study it. And kind of there, he had this vision that kind of drove the vision, the, the purpose of the ministry. And, uh, and this is the way he described it. He said one day he was thinking about it, and he saw this, this angry ocean. It was dark and black, and there were these huge waves, and there were gobs of people that were out in the water. And they were all drowning. They were all fighting to stay above water. And as he looked across it, some were fighting and some were gasping, and then some would sink and and go beneath the surface and never come up again. And then he said, out in the middle of this ocean, there was a rock that had formed. And that rock represented Jesus. And there had been some that were out in the ocean that had found their way to the rock and had been saved from from the situation. But he said this crazy thing happened. They, they would get on the rock, and then they would forget from where they had come. And on the rock, they would just find ways to pass the time. 
and uh, I actually had a painting of this uh, that used to hang in my office. And, and on the painting, you know, the people on the rock, there uh, some one guy's fishing, another business guy's trying to figure out how to make some money. Uh, there's a couple that's kind of looking at each other, you know. There's a, there's a dude that's lifting weights. You know, it's all these people that have occupied their time with, with things. And it says that those people on the rock, every once in a while, about once a week, they would climb up to the top of the rock and look over to the mainland, which represented heaven, and they would cry out, come help us. Come get us off this island. Come, come save us from this situation. And the way he wrote it out, the way it finished, he said, and all the while, Jesus was out in the angry ocean, crying out to the people on the rock, you guys, you don't get it. Come help me. Come help me pull more from the ocean to salvation. I'm telling you, that rocked me because I think it's true. That's who Jesus is. And I had missed it. And I was one of the people on the rock occupying my time with other things while the people around me that I cared about or that I should care about, the friends that I'm not making because they're different than me, those are the people that Jesus was with and wanting me desperately to speak to and love. The way he says it in, in Matthew 4.19, you know, he comes across these guys that are fishing, calling them to follow him. And he says it this way, he says, come follow me, and this is what will happen if you follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. If you follow me, this is what happens. You end up, like me, going to seek and to save the lost. That's what a Jesus follower is. It's that much a part of the DNA of a person who believes in Jesus because this is who Jesus is. He saved you, and now he wants you to be a part of, of what he's doing. Paul, you know, is the guy that, that uh, key player in the early church, wrote a lot of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I think this is big because I think for a lot of us, we're a bit ashamed of it. We're a bit ashamed. It's good news, but we don't see it as that, and we're a little bit ashamed to share it. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for anyone who will receive it and believe it. He's saying, man, I've got a life preserver, and people are drowning. How can I be ashamed of a life preserver? If you were at a swimming pool and somebody started to drown, would you be ashamed to get, the, to, to get it? Or if, like, your, your house is burning down and the fire truck pulls up, and you're like, uh, it's kind of a shabby fire truck. No, man. This is the only thing that's going to, it's a dire situation, and this is the only hope. You can't be ashamed of that. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, I think it's funny because a lot of times we will, uh, I hear people say, and I felt it before, yeah, but, you know, it might hurt my friendship if I start to talk about Jesus or I start to talk about religion, which that's a topic for another day. Jesus, talking about Jesus and talk about religion are two very different things. But it might hurt the conversation if I talk about Jesus. And I'll try not to say this too harsh because that's probably where a lot of folks in the room are. But let me tell you real quick, uh, it's crazy. How can you call yourself a friend if you don't tell somebody something that's critically important in your life? For instance, me and you start a friendship. We start hanging out. We spend time together, you know, every week. And I have taken my wedding ring and stuck it in my back pocket, and I have neglected to tell you that I am married, that I have any children. We spend time together, and about a year passes by, and then one day it pops up, and I forgot to take it off. And you go, married? Yeah, I'm 
step forward here. How would you feel at that moment? Dude, I, I thought we were tight, man. <laughs> I, thought we, I thought we knew, I thought we were friends. You, you would feel like I had lied to you, that I had deceived you. You would leave that day going, man, that, that's just not my scripture. That's not my heart. Well, in the same way, if, if you really believe that Jesus is your only hope for life, and you keep that a secret, and then one day it pops up in conversation and you're going, oh, you, you're a Christian? How do you think that feels? Either one, you don't care much about me and we don't, we're not very close. And two, you must not believe it very much because you've been holding it back this whole time. So what would it look like? What would it look like to, to practically do this? One, just make some friends. And I... I would wager to say that this room, as much as any church room that's meeting this morning, this room is full of people who you already have in your circle of influence, in your life, your neighborhood, your work, you already have people around you who haven't really uh, been exposed to this incredible good news. They're in your life right now. So look up and realize that they're there. And then be friendly. And then do what you do. What, what happens when you're hanging out? Man, y'all are talking, you're talking about this, you're talking about that, you're telling some story about what happened last weekend. And then you tell stories. And so tell your story. If you've met Jesus, you have a story to tell. In fact, in uh, Acts chapter 26, Paul is in a situation where he's in front of a king. He's imprisoned and given his defense to this king. And he walks through in, in, in Acts chapter 26. I'd encourage you to go read it. He walks through and he says, this is my story. And the story is basically broken into three different parts. The first part is, he says, man, this is what my life was like before, before I met Jesus. And in short, man, he was was a part of attacking people who claimed to follow Jesus and and watching them executed. This is who Paul was. Uh, His his backstory before Christ's story was one that couldn't be more opposed to Jesus. And then he talks about this day that, that he met Jesus. And then Jesus said, man, what are you doing? Why are you opposing me like this? I've got a plan for your life. And that day changed everything. And so he says to this king, that day was a turning point in my life. Instead of opposing him, now I was going to follow. And then he tells what's happened after that, how now he's been about proclaiming this good news to the ends of the earth. And it's really interesting, by the time he finishes, this king that was in opposition goes, Man, you're going to, before you finish, if you keep on going on like this, you're going to convince me to follow Jesus. And Paul goes, that's right. (laughs) That's right. That's my prayer. Because this incredible story, everybody needs to embrace it. All the lost need to be found. It's possible. I'm going to talk about it. He's telling his story. And you've got the same story. What you were like before you met Jesus. What happened and how it went down when you met him. And what your life is like now figure out what it looks like to follow him. So tell that story. We share it. We share this, you know, some, the parts of it, what happened, but each one of us has our own story to tell about how we met him, our own individual personal story. Make friends and tell them that. The other thing is uh, our connection class that we have, the second part of it, there's actually four pieces. The second part happens next weekend, uh, next Sunday, during the first hour in our church offices. And what I do there is I, I walk through a more uh, kind of filled out uh, illustration, a way that you can explain this gospel to somebody. 
So if you want to go to that next level, come. I invite you all to come to that at the offices that starts at, what time does it start? Nine, nine o'clock? Um, come on down and we can talk that. But in short, tell your story to the people that are around you. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And so while this is the part of this wheel that gets a lot of bad, uh, you know, bad pub, and uh, that we actually a lot like to kind of push to the side and not talk about, for me, my testimony is that when I realized that this good news that was shared with me was now in my in my hands, and there were lost people hurting and dying separated from Jesus. And I had the opportunity to take this and to talk about it. And it could actually change somebody else's life, change their story. Man, I'm telling you what, that's something that you can't keep quiet about. If you don't mind, let me just pray and ask that that would be true of us. Father, I I know that uh, you set things up in such a way 